yeah, another great video there. What do you think of that, Paul? Well, with this one, I think I have to feel my way into it and feel my way into into the lyric. Mm. The most obvious thing for me is that it expresses the spirit of the ancestral feminine. We talked yeah. about the, the spirit of the ancestral warrior in our last video, but here I think we have the spirit of the ancestral feminine. What Clarissa Pinkola Estes would call um, the archetype of the wild woman. That's in Women Who Run With The Wolves. That's in Women yeah. Who Run With The Wolves. Wild meaning natural and a, a return to nature and, and to natural ways and even the way that the the video is put together we've got the Soderberg sisters who are first aid kit and they're they're dressed very simply in these sort of long white dresses really unadorned in, in any kind of um unnatural way I mean I know they've got sort of uh, headdresses and, and and the like on but it expresses again something of that, uh, the, the natural instinctive feminine. Yeah. And there are obviously uh, theriomorphic elements too, yeah. shamanistic elements. Yeah. And I think where, where we go with that is to understand that women and wolves share certain psychic characteristics. And Unfortunately, wolves, by and large, have a very bad press, both, yeah. both in reality and also in myths and fairy tales, for example. Um, you see them turn up in things like Little Red Riding Hood mm. and the Three Little Pigs and um, other stories as well. Um, I mean, the Three Little Pigs, we have the big bad wolf who's afraid of the big, big bad wolf. Yeah. And then in Little Red Riding Hood, we have grandmother dressing mm. up um, or the wolf dressing up as grandmother and pretending to, to be her. So um, they, they make an appearance usually negatively uh, in myths and yeah. fairy stories and, and so on. But the, the reality of wolves is really very different when you when you get into them you try and understand them as a species and understand their their ways properly then a very different picture emerges it does. It does. and we again in terms of the negatives you know we think of wolves often as being devious and devouring and uh, vicious predators who prey on the unaware and uh, the innocent um, and th there are some similarities there sometimes with how women are, are treated as well um, in terms of uh, how they might be feared in the culture. Again, if, if, if we take a historical perspective mm. on that, we get, we get some understanding of what that means. Uh, for example, women have been burnt as witches in the past and, and, and so on. And there's burning in this too. And there's burning yeah. in this yeah. as well. So, so there are those negative elements that we, we tend to associate with wolves and therefore with women. But the things that don't get emphasised sufficiently, of course, are the positive ones. Yeah. And wolves have keen senses they're instinctive animals they are deeply um, loyal and caring uh, mm. and protective of their mm. young and their mates um, they're adaptable mm -hmm. um, they're, they're, they have strength and endurance mm -hmm. they, they cover you know many many miles um, yeah. you know in a, a territorial sense so they, they they have to have for that so the only circumstances really in reality where wolves become um, 
devouring, shall we say, or kill excessively is usually when either they're ill mm -hmm. um, or they've experienced a famine, mm -hmm. which tends to happen, as you might imagine, during during the winter yeah. months when, yeah. when food is scarce. And then when the spring comes, they will sometimes kill excessively, mm -hmm. which I think is interesting because they don't actually eat everything they kill even in those situations and, and they don't even stash the kill away they actually only eat what they need mm -hmm. but they're they're compelled because of the famine yeah, to yeah. kill excessively so again if, if we use that as a metaphor and, and apply it to the elements in this particular video and, and the lyrics in the video we see something of what happens to a creature to an animal um, when they become starved, when they become ravenous or ravening, then this there is this desire to kill excessively. And so with respect to women and women's psyches, when they too become ravenous, maybe either in a, you know, in a, a literal sense because they're down on the luck or psychologically, then there's a tendency to indulge in things excessively. And we've talked about this before with respect yeah. to addiction. Yeah. So where women don't get what they need um, to sustain them, to nourish them psychologically, that libido will be diverted into other things such as alcohol, uh, drugs, bad relationships, whatever it happens to yeah. be. So there's a lot of similarities mm. between the wolf as a species and, and the psychology of women. And I think this is why it's being used here in, yeah. in this particular yeah. video. Yeah, um, yeah I, I'd agree with all of that. So the video itself is, is mm. important. It's, it's a great piece of art. It, it conveys something which is ancestral yes. uh, and you mentioned the pheromorph, the idea of the pheromorph, yes. which is a very astute observation with respect to shamanism and the meaning of that psychologically mm. uh, for men and for women. Uh, and we, we can touch upon that later. Yes. What might be useful now, do you think, if we were to show the video again, but this time with the lyrics, and then we can deconstruct those and put that into yes. a framework, which is a depth psychological framework yes. with Freudian, Jungian and Adlerian elements. In. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah. So let's, look at, let's look at the lyrics and then uh, get stuck into the depth psychological analysis.
Well, there we are. And there are the lyrics and they show a definite appreciation of both the female and the male elements in the psyche. They do very much so. I mean, the opening lyrics obviously express some of what we've said before. Um, And it's important really, I think, to address that balance and to say something about uh, the masculine psychology that's that's represented in the lyrics as well. Yeah, they talk about wolf father at the door. They do, yeah. Yes. Um, and that's interesting because that's an analogue for the idea of the role of the father in a Paleolithic sense yes. as, as being the, the doorkeeper between the cave mouth and the outside world. Mm. Even the way that they describe him, um, how he runs into the environment, and, and it's that seeking system in a Panksepian sense, that relatedness to the world and the importance of that. But I, I guess, too, that important that we don't lose sight of the fact that this was written by girls by young girls who have an obvious feeling for the ancestral psyche their own psyche so that would make the wolf father at the door an analog for Jung's concept of the animus would you say yes it 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 would Mm. and I think what you did when you touched on um, the lyric to do with running through the forest some of the other lines too talk about him being a shapeshifter that did it. as well, yep. which which I think is interesting because yep. the animus is a bit like that. Indeed. Deep structure the same, yeah. But obviously on the surface he shapeshifts, yeah. he shapeshifts, yeah. Uh, and and can be represented in many different yeah. forms. So yeah, that I find interesting. Yes, yeah, so that's the shamanistic element again that's yes. coming through, isn't it? It is. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it's a really really interesting video. It shows so much connectedness to that ancestral line and how it's appeared spontaneously in those young girls, who by the chronological age haven't lived enough really. No. You, you could say to have constructed that necessarily from environmental influences this has emerged from within yes. and um, one thing that we found in our clinical work is that when it comes down to fantasy images or constructs they tend to follow instincts mm. so if you look at a video like this and then ask yourself the question what instinctive patterns roles and behaviors of an ancestral kind are being acted out and followed through and then you see it you start to see how that operates beneath the surface and it's generally true that fantasies always follow instincts just as for example if uh, in in the negative if you want to control a culture and the way to do that is to misdirect their instincts because fantasies will then constellate around those misdirected instincts and if you want to heal somebody who's harmed in some way whether that's a trauma or a disconnection from their ancestral psyche once again you constellate the instincts and then these images these fantasy narratives will immediately start to constellate around those instincts and so that's the healing path to follow it is a healing path to follow and i think when we the that the sort of opening images of the sisters running through the forest yeah. and as i think i said earlier uh, everything is paired back they are natural women and even even the fact that i mean they're both sisters as we know yeah. but they're so very different in appearance yeah. the fact that their their persona if you like has been paired back in that way yeah. to just appear in a very almost bland and natural way I think emphasizes the deep structure. I do. It's not distracting, is no, it? No, it it's isn't. Not if, if you had a particularly glamorous pair of girls who were literally tarted up or tattooed or yeah. wherever it might be, yeah. as some kind of uh, alleged representation of the tribal, 
this is all of that stripped away and, and, and those elements, as you say, that you yeah. have are relatable immediately to those instincts that are being constellated and driven through. Yeah. And when you when you think about it, I mean, if, if you were to to put yourself in into that video and the idea of running through the forest, as I say, dressed in, in a very sort of uh, natural and purred back way, uh, barefooted, mm. and your instincts, your senses would almost certainly be heightened. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it, it's suggestive of the importance of that, of the importance of being in touch with your senses, with your instincts. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's primal. It, it, is. it truly is. And it is. you do have to get off the surface mm. in order to understand that. And the minute that you do that, you can resonate with that and you can see the value and importance of it. And why, as you say, by analogy, that would then be important for women in their lives. I mean, what, what does it mean to be in touch with your senses, yeah. to live an instinctive life, to be in touch with with what we would maybe call feminine intuition? Mm. But it's really just instinct it's not it's not intuition in the sense that that classical Jungians mm. would mean it in, no, in a no, tight sense so. no. it's that deep instinctive resonance with yeah. things and yeah. you know it, it's about spotting things in the environment when we're, we're out there and we're being propelled out there through our, our seeking system that might be harmful to us what what sort of um if it, again to sort of link it with the idea of the wolf what kind of traps or baits might be set for us that yeah. we won't see if we're not in touch with yeah. ourselves in that instinctive way, in that yeah. deep primal way. Yeah. And I think that's that's the value of the video, but you have to sort of lower yourself into it emotionally to resonate with that. Yeah. And then it impacts you. Yeah, it's really, really important to be able to do that. Yeah. So Steve, what, what do you think is the value of, of using the wolf mask? Wow. Yeah, in the video, obviously, there's an element of uh, the feriomorph, which is part human, part animal. And mm. that, of course, leads naturally into the idea of shamanism, doesn't yes, it? it does. And shamanism is something of uh, a cultural meme at the moment, isn't it? Amongst internet Jungians and pop yeah. psychologists and people who take substances, that kind of thing. Mm. But this really is at the heart of the video, I think, for me. Yes. I, would you agree about that? Because this really has to do with what are the girls trying to access Mm -hmm. And what is the medium, literally the medium that they're using to do that? Mm -hmm. So in a sense, then they are in the other world from the perspective of shamanism. Uh, and I'm thinking of, of a more Celtic shamanism specifically when I, when I use that, that phrase, mm -hmm. uh, the forest mm -hmm. at night. And as you said earlier about the connection of the feet to the ground and how grounding that is, uh, running through, experiencing what's happening to the trees and the rivers. Yes. They're dead, they're gone. Yeah. It's a, a wasteland, as you, point, wasteland. you pointed out to me the other day. Yeah. Uh, that's a typical journey that you get with a shamanistic experience. You pass through a phase where things are like a wasteland. So you, you're looking for contact with spirits, mm -hmm. in other words, the analogue of the unconscious, uh, and you need to undergo a journey. And very often with shamanistic practices, a wearing of a headdress uh or something or a mask something similar is, mm. is important isn't it in adopting the right kind of persona to bring forth the unconscious into connection with the psyche and then into the world and then forming that bridge and that's um that's an important thing isn't it because uh mm. that happens with the way that the genome itself expresses itself through consciousness and into the world well, we've we've done this clinically we through have. enactments. We have indeed. actually, yeah. and and we've actually um, 
made masks or encouraged people to make their own masks sometimes mm -hmm. as well and, and to wear yeah. them during the enactment process. Yeah. So it's, as you say, it's a taking on of whatever qualities or attributes that yeah. are associated with that mask yeah. in order to understand something yeah. at, at a very deep level. Yeah. And there's no doubt clinically that that is very, very effective. Yeah. And, and often we've we've darkened the room as well. We certainly had subdued lighting in the room yeah, where the that has taken, yeah. Yeah, has, has taken place yeah. because yeah. It's, it's as if to create an abasement, to dial down consciousness and, and, and to allow the unconscious to come up. And it's a very, very effective way of working yeah. clinically with people. Yeah, enactments, for, for those guys who don't know the way that we use them anyway, it's a very, very intense process that can last all day. Yes. It, it can last 10 or 12 hours. It's a controlled environment, um, controlled in the sense that access is controlled. Um, lighting is controlled, heating is controlled, mm. uh, the use of music, the use of props, which would include masks and mask, all sorts yes. of other objects as well. Yeah. And there will be a team of therapists involved, people that we know, colleagues of ours, or even people that we've trained directly or who are in training. And that we would work with one patient or one client with a chaperone. Uh, they would be prepared in advance to go through this process so we would know them really well and yeah. uh, what the contraindications might be uh, and the props that we would have would represent generic uh, patterns that Jungians might call archetypes yes. uh, they would also represent elements of the person's through line their personal myth mm. um, and in effect we would be generating a dissociative dream state in real time externally and the the other therapists who are, are with us uh, have all been briefed on the, the person's case history uh, and there is a general plan a treatment plan in place isn't there with oh, all yes. the safeguards yes. built in hmm. and uh, they then adopt different roles and become parts like prompts of that person's life and timeline and unconscious and the deepening process is very rapid and really the point of that with respect to shamanism is to show you do not need substances. Yes. Um, you don't need anything like that. You just have to create the, the right kind of environment. The right conditions, you? yes. Uh, and uh, the right conditions. But when mm. you use this therapeutically, all the safeguards have to be built in. And um, as a team, we've managed to achieve some pretty miraculous turnarounds in people's lives. Very, very emotional. Uh, by using these methods but essentially that is functional shamanism mm. in the moment where a person accesses themselves um, by interacting with these different elements um, even the use of music which is common the use of sound and shamanism for mm. example we will do that um, and that music is usually triggered at an appropriate point in the process yes. isn't it yes. outside of the visual or hearing uh, perception of the person that we're working with and some then the music comes in and certain things happen uh, it, it can be incredibly powerful so yeah like you said the use of headdresses I mean that goes right back to at least the Neolithic mm. you know um, plenty of examples of headdresses have been found with um, Stone Age hunter-gatherers there's representations of them and wall art that kind of thing yeah. so what's going on there when you think about it, what what on earth is going on? That a representation of the outer world is used to represent the inner world. That's the key. And the ritual element is, as you said, Paul, to mm. do with an abasement of consciousness, yes. isn't it? a lowering of consciousness. But the way the psyche works is from the inside out. 
and our normal consciousness sits at the interface between the inner and the outer world but in an evolutionary sense it's meant to engage with the outside world that's its job and that's why it needs to be very focused but narrow at the same time it can't hold enough information to deal with the inner world as well as the outer world so that's its role so therefore when things turn up from within they tend to take on a symbolic form as compressed files as we might understand them today uh, and when they're unpacked we find it's a broadband file a hugely broad bandwidth file that we're having to deal with with respect to what the psyche is delivering so things then turn up in the form of symbols and, and then the form of uh, imagery and then ritual mm. and that kind of thing um, so the progression runs from the genome to gene expression at a molecular level you then get an instinct one or more instincts become activated and instincts we need to understand are not reflexes they're not flatlined they're four-dimensional because they include the anticipation of a complete situation that unfolds over the fourth dimension of time which is lifespan development they have intentionality the instinct is powered by a drive which in effect is what Freud and Jung would have called libido. That's the energy of, of the system as a whole. And then when that reaches our normal consciousness, it's already conscious in the, in the form of an affect or emotional state. So that's the progression that's released from within. And then we experience the affect as being meaningful. If you remove emotion from any kind of perception, meaning is removed instantly, it's taken away. Mm. And what the neuropsychoanalysts have, have shown and the effective neuroscientists have shown is that emotion is independently conscious of what we would normally call cognition. It's um, a priori to it. It starts first. It processes faster. And by the time we think about something, it's an afterforce to the affect. But the affect itself is on the expanding edge of a drive state, which is delivered by an instinct with intentionality towards a goal in the environment. But even the instinct itself is triggered by gene expression from the genome. So all of that lines up and pushes and gives us this, this pressure that we feel. As it approaches consciousness, it has to funnel down. So it's reduced into a compressed file that we can understand in the form of a symbol. Then consciousness has to make sense of that in relation to the outer world. And that's why you get ritual. That's why you get the wearing of masks that kind of thing, and why the relationship to the environment then is taken as a resonance with the relationship to the inner world. They're not actually the same. And that's where we can make mistakes when we start to interpret the inner world by internal projection from the outside and populate the inner world with representations of the outer. That's not right. What we have to do is receive the unconscious from within in the form that it wants to represent itself in respect of its anticipation of action in the world. That's completely different than internally projecting outer relationships and then populating the inside of our head with little figures that are all animated and have personalities of their own. That's not the point. So when you adopt one of these, these masks and you go through a ritual, you're basically saying, I am receptive to the unconscious, the other world. Mm -hmm. And the role of the shaman is to be receptive to the inner world, not to replicate the outer world or to project his own ordinary consciousness inwardly, because that just creates a mirage of the ego, of the ego, and you don't then effectively get outside of your normal consciousness. So the purpose of an enactment then, as we were discussing therapeutically, mm. is to yes. generate that state where a person can receive the unconscious 
in, uh, a, in its pure form. In its pure form, as you yeah. say, and, and with the appropriate level of emotion and intentionality to complete self-regulation, which itself is the individuation process. That's what it's all about, effectively, isn't it? Very much so. I think all of that is absolutely true. As you were speaking, though, I was also aware of the importance of the culture yeah. in terms of it, how it impresses on us mm. and, and, and pushes back, because obviously we, we are social creatures and, yeah. and, and we live in a social environment and, and we are affected by these things. And I think it's the case, for example, because we're talking about enactments and dreamlike states, that sometimes some of the things that happen in the environment are so catastrophic yeah for example something like an ecological disaster yeah. which often is man-made yeah that and i'm talking about women here but i suspect that it would probably you know affect men again mm. maybe not in the same way but i don't see why it wouldn't affect men but how that something like that might impress on people on women from without to the, the extent that it actually influences the kind of dreams that they have. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and as I, I understand it, say, from somebody like Clarissa Estes' work, those kinds of things do impress on oh, women's yeah. dreams. Yeah. So they might, for example, dream about wastelands. Yeah. Wastelands. Or they might dream about, um, you know, dark, predatory men um or you know uh, male-like characters uh and so these things come at at us from all angles don't they They really and it's just a a case of i think distilling out what what's important what what should we take notice of yeah and uh and to some extent what what we shouldn't take notice of as well but i think we have to consider all those elements as well uh, in in terms of um what impacts on people on their well-being and therefore um on their their individuation and their adaptation to life that is the role of of the conscious personality is is to adjust yes. to the outer world and then react to how that the outer world may bypass our awareness consciously and they get reflected back at us yes. in the form of an anticipation of proper adaptation yes. uh, complexes for example when paul and i've been working with these for well over 40 years now and other people as well as ourselves yeah um they are interesting things because they are basically adaptations to instinctive pressure that then meets the environment and there's a, a resolution which is the complex some complexes are positive aren't they, they are. and they're, a, they're adaptive but we yeah. we tend in a clinical sense to only worry about those mm. that are maladaptive mm. but in effect what you get then is that when the conscious mind cannot cope with or adapt with a particular situation it will divide it will split mm. this goes all the way back to the early hypnotists i'm talking about the 19th century yes. people like Charcot. And in particular, Pierre Janet, who was Jung's teacher when it came to hypnosis and when it came to the idea of the splitting of consciousness. He's very, very influential on Jung's ideas. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, then you get this splinter psyche, as Jung himself described them, following Pierre Janet. Um, that starts to run as an autonomous subroutine, basically. And when instinctive pressure to adapt emerges from within, which includes the drive state, and all of the anticipations and the emotions that come through and complexes will take the libido and the affect and siphon it off so it doesn't reach consciousness 
And that's a kind of defense mechanism in a Freudian sense, isn't it? Mm. But the problem can be then that the complex actually caps natural instinctive pressure. And for a while that can work, but then you'll find that the instinctive pressure builds up mm. and it starts to push past the complex. Mm. But as it pushes past, it disturbs the complex, which then increases by borrowing a bit more of it, the, the energy, the libido of the instinct, and it starts to pressure the psyche maladaptively again. And then we have the neurotic split. Instinct wants a proper adaptation. The, the complex that formed in the past to a similar enough situation says, no, we can't do that, do that. And then you get a divided consciousness a split and that can result in all sorts of issues of maladaptation to the world to physical uh, distress yes. that kind of thing it can signal in many ways it can mm. as you say and, and that's mm. when uh, processes like enactment which i'm certainly suggesting is a form of shamanism where you involve a group of people acting together towards a, the common purpose of healing mm. um when, when a person engages with that properly they can close that gap and the complex can be eliminated pretty much immediately mm even if it's been operant for like 30, 40 years in some cases, yes. you can do that. Mm. Of course, you have to prepare properly for it and you have to have people who are properly prepared. And that, again, is a shamanistic thing, isn't it? To do with how people should be prepared to go through this. There's an analogue directly with the ancient idea of shamanism in that. Yes, the, there is. I think probably what you have to be able to do is to trust the process and yeah. you have to trust the people who you're working yeah. with sufficiently yeah. for that to take place and obviously in, yeah. in the past it would have been um the, the elders maybe in a tribe uh and and uh you know by inference the ancestors as well and so mm. there'd, there'd be a kind of a trusted process and a trusted yeah. group of people yeah. to take that person through that experience and to lead them through and take them out the other side safely yeah that's that, that's true and in the video then what we've got are the two sisters going through a shamanistic process in the form of their arse yes and the way that they portray it that way that is a connection to the psyche yeah. that is then produced into the world because we've seen it we, we've been affected by that video and then we can feel the collective nature of what they're trying to do mm. so the ancestral echo that's in us and in you guys as well you can allow yourselves to feel that uh, and then you can understand the narrative very very clearly about what's going on um, the problem is, as I say, if we attach the wrong kind of fantasy images to the instincts that are present in a creative act like making a, a video like that, is that, that we can just get lost. And that's one of the issues that's going wrong in the culture at the moment, isn't it? That instincts are being misdirected by certain forces. Mm. And a misdirected instinct will then attract the wrong kind of fantasies, which reinforce it. Um, and you get the result that we're all familiar with, with respect to identity issues, toxic masculinity, being accepted, uh, men self-neutering, uh, taking on nihilistic ideas and being just generally destructive about themselves and bleak and black about the future. Mm. Whereas a, a proper healing shamanistic approach wouldn't indulge any of that to the sense that it is the conclusion. It would lead people through the right kind of healing confrontation with those ideas but would move them out the way by accessing those instincts which are under the control of the genome which will push towards a person becoming optimally adapted to their life mm. and when you get that lined up you get the right affect 
the right consciousness, the right sense of personal identity, the right action in the world. If that were not the case, then so-called shamanism would just be a trap. There would be a pied piper of delusion that would lead a person into an abyss through misery, through uh, setting unattainable personal goals, saying this is what you have to do, but you can't do it. Only a few percent of the best can do this and you can't. Yes. And you feel bad about yourself. Well, that's a shame because you're going to be deleted. You know, there's no future for you or, f- or for your genes. Mm. That is an insipid shadow-like suggestion that you find with a lot of these internet gurus, but it's not what a true shaman would do. A true shaman would lead you to a healing conclusion, which is essentially the integration of your personality on the inside, the alignment of that for action in the world, not a withdrawal into distracting fantasy. And you know that your instincts are misaligned because your fantasies will be negative. The genome does not intend that. Well, yes, that's, that's so true, Steve. And, and for people who feel trapped and they feel mm. trapped under this uh, current zeitgeist, both because they're, they're either trapped at home or they feel psychologically trapped, and, and obviously the, those two things to some extent go hand in hand, then they're likely to have fantasies to do with wanting to escape, to wanting yeah. to be free, for example. Yeah. And how you actually achieve that or obviously bring in some of those elements yourself is is very context specific but if just referring to the video you know anyone if if they so chose to do it and they could build in obviously a safe way of doing it for example could go into a forest at night to experience heightened senses to to feel alive to feel animated in some other way that contradicts yeah. the way in which they feel trapped in their everyday yeah. life so there were, what i'm saying is that they, they can be very simple and uncomplicated ways they can. Into that's this. true that's absolutely true and we mentioned the enactment because that's a really stark mm. clinical application it of is. this where you get shamanism yeah which is uniquely contoured for an individual and shamanistic mm. healing is about that for an individual so the preparation has to be for that person so there's very close correlation yeah, isn't there there, there is yeah. if anybody doubts the importance of instincts with respect to fantasies and they doubt that fantasies don't follow instincts we'll just think of the most basic freudian one of all and that's sex mm. you know the, the sexual instinct right when that's active you will find you have sexual fantasies because fantasies follow instincts so take that then the, a fantasy is basically a narrative it's, there's always a narrative there's some kind of story involved a scenario a situation and then you look for any kind of uh, scenario or situation narrative in any kind of creative media representational art you'd look for where the instincts are present in that and then you'll make sense immediately of the through line of what's happening with respect to to that then you apply that to your own life. Where are your fantasies? Follow the fantasies and find the instincts because they're always there. They're always together. And if your instincts have been misdirected by others, then the fantasies you have will not be helpful. They'll be, in effect, defense mechanisms, the kind of things that Sigmund Freud uh, and Carl Jung and Alfred Adler would have recognized as such. Very simple way to start your self-analysis off. Find your instincts by looking at where your fantasies are going. 
So that's a that's a, a useful practical thing that you can do in your daily life, isn't mm. it? Yeah. So just just momentarily returning to the video, Steve. Mm, yeah. What do you think about the the final scene with the the fire? And, uh, oh yeah, the, the burning and yes. that. Yeah, it's like a yeah. transformation, isn't it? It is. But you, yeah. can't, you, you can't hold, you can't be in a fantasy forever. You have mm. to have reality orientation. Mm. So having gone through something, then which is the fact that they uncover what's wrong with their environment and their yeah. through line, yeah. uh, their relationship to uh, the parental imagos, which is primary in principles of relating. And first of all, the mother, the most important of all, and then the father, and then it's the outer world, and then their own personal journey, which involves separation from the parents, engagement with the real world, uh, the necessity at some point in the journey for anybody to confront what the inertia is in their own personality towards growth. They then go through that catabasis, that darkening process, and then the ritual transformation. Mm. The burning at the end will be the separation from the fantasy, the moving on from the need to undergo a shamanistic process. So yeah, fires transformative. And yeah. my view on that is that that's probably what that means at the end of the video. Mm. As a moving away from it. Yes, yes, I, I agree with you completely. And this idea of transforming the, the inner wasteland yeah. you know into into something which is um enriching and uh animated and and restorative is 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 very important because of course the, the opposite to that is the fire of annihilation we've talked, talked yeah. about this before yeah if, if you go with instinctive processes and you allow them to work through your life in a transformative way, yeah. then it, then the fire is the fire of transformation as opposed yeah. to that of annihilation yeah. and, and, and devastation and destruction. Yeah. So that that's without a doubt the way to go. Yeah, you have analogues, don't you, with alchemy and, and uh, similar things. Yes. Um, so it, 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 it is, without, as you say, without a, doubt, a common theme. Um, and you get that process naturally emerging with people who know nothing about alchemy or in a general sense, any kind of classical mythology. You put them through an enactment process and what you see without guiding people, this is the important thing, you don't guide them. You offer them an opportunity to connect with their psyche and then you see this phase shift, don't you, where what is within suddenly is without yes. and it's acted and enacted through mm -hmm. it's an amazing transformative process but you see people literally going through some of them that they, they start to sweat they, they'll still shake they'll they'll sweat they'll tremble and then they'll roar mm -hmm. you know howl like a wolf yeah. bow, which is know? primal which is primal it's a kind of primal scream yes. not after janov's primal scream specifically but yeah. that kind of declaration mm -hmm. from within yes. Uh, yes. and then you see the consumption of affect which is consciousness and transformative through action mm -hmm. and the assimilation process afterwards. Because we always do that, you know, or we, when, we, yeah. when we do enactments, we mm -hmm. don't put people back out of that environment into the world in a dissociated state. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't keep them in that abased level of consciousness. And that's an important thing too, because it can be addictive to go into these states, whether it's through a substance or some other illegitimate way of experiencing the natural psyche, mm -hmm. uh, that becomes a repetition compulsion. Yes. And the pe people have a flight, as Freud would have understood it, into that kind of fantasy so they can be contained by it, yeah. uh, confirmed by it, but it's a, it's a trap. It is a trap. You, know, you have to go through, which means come out the other side, a process yeah. like that. Yeah. 
the whole the only point of going into it is that is yeah. to come out the other side yes it is. and not to stay there yeah yeah absolutely mm. so yeah the wolf symbolism really mm. really important yeah. um and it's it's actually informed some of our own creative work some of our film projects well, isn't it? well you especially um, I mean, I, I actually know of uh, someone, of, of a woman who, who was so distressed and so anxious that she actually howled like yeah. a wolf to, yeah, to relieve her distress. Yeah. And I'm, sh I'm sure you remember yeah. that too. Yeah, I and I know you've used the symbol yeah. of the wolf in, yeah. in your work, in your novels, yeah. Yeah. to express many things. Well, they've become film scripts, haven't they? They've become and, film scripts, um, yes. That's in process, mm. uh, interrupted temporarily by COVID, but yes, still there. But still, yeah. yeah, I mean, specifically with Wolves, that's in um, the third part of uh, the Victrix trilogy, Odin's Wolves. Yeah. And then there's the uh, one of my favourite stories, actually, to be honest, which is, is called Sharma, mm. which will be released as a film. I have no doubt about that. There's an awful lot of interest in it. And we're also going to release that as uh, an audio book with professional actors, uh, probably on the Audible platform. Uh, and that production will be underway soon to get that out. But that's um, a true psychodrama. Uh, and there are elements of Freudian and Jungian psychology that run through that individuation. You'll see the anima, you'll see Thanatos mm. uh, in a, a confrontation with Eros. Mm. Uh, in the life of a creative artist and there are wolves in there, there are feriomorphic aspects but it's meant to illustrate the kind of thing that we've been talking about today yes. and uh, that'll be released fairly soon there'll, there'll be an announcement on young to live by and on our discord about that and then released on the platform so yeah what a fantastic video and what a creative pair those two sisters are so maybe we should uh, should end with another one of their videos called the lion's roar and guess what there are no lions in it <laughs> but there is something and how about this as, again as a, a force experiment bearing in mind what we said before when you look at a narrative like that see if you can find what instincts are moving through mm. what instincts are motivating the characters in this video if you find that, you'll find the affect within you, the emotion within you, and the meaning then will come through in a way it never will if you look at it cognitively or by interjecting cultural ideas as interpretations of what it might be. And that might be from a psychological theory, for example, an overblown version of Carl Jung's theory of archetypes, that kind of thing. So you see everything as an archetype. Well, how about set that aside in the sense that Jung meant it when he said that archetypes were the self-portraits of instincts that tells you a lot that tells you that archetypes wherever they are are produced by instincts they are authored by them so if you look for the instincts you automatically understand the so-called archetypes further than that though you get into the libido and the emotion mm. that's underlying that provides the meaning that's emerged from the genome so and Jung also said yeah. that man cannot live a meaningless life. He too. did. He did indeed. So, so meaning is essential. Meaning is absolutely essential. Mm. So yeah, this this is by first aid kit, as they call themselves again. The the, uh, the Soderberg sisters, wonderfully creative, mm. uh, and it's called the Lion's Roar. See if you can see if you can work out what instincts are at play and what the real meaning of this story is.
Cheers. 